guess it's my turn now, huh? All right. <laughs> he said, yeah, I wasn't really asking. It's my turn whether you say so or not. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, we're starting a new series today, and I'm really excited about it as we jump into a new series for the new year, and the series is called Not Yet. Uh, and our conversations over the next uh, couple of weeks are going to have this idea in mind, to revolve around this idea uh, that we oftentimes, we have an eye to the future, and yet we live in the present. Uh, there's somewhere we want to be, we, there's, the, there's the now that we're living in, and there's the not yet that, I, that I'm trying to get to, that I hope my life looks like, that I'm looking forward to in, in the future. Um, you know, maybe it's in the future, there's somewhere I want to be, but I'm not there yet. There's something that I want to do, but I can't do it yet. There's something that I'm looking forward to but it's not there yet. Um, I'm looking forward to the future because maybe my circumstances right now aren't very good. I'm hoping in the future they're better, but right now it's certainly not the case. Or maybe it's I'm just looking forward to the next season in life. There's a milestone you're looking to hit or a new opportunity um, that, that comes your way, but it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it's more personal. There's someone that you really want to be. And a lot of times that's what we do, you know, at New Year's. We set some goals. Some people are resolution people. Some people aren't. It's like, there's someone I want to be, you know, at the end of the year. I'm not there yet. I'm starting now. And we find ourselves in the now, not yet kind of tension. And whenever we think about that, here's where we're going to start today. Um, we're going to start kind of more personal today. Because as we think about the future, we want circumstances to change. But a lot of times there's also the, the me that I want to change that I want things to be different in my, in my life, and there's, I want to be different about the way that I live, or I've got some goals in mind. And as we think about the future, one of the things that at least I find the most frustrating, and maybe you do as well, is when I'm not making the progress that I think I should be making. When it's like, there's something I want to be, there's something I want to look forward to, is where we're going in this direction, but I'm not making, I'm not seeing the progress that I want to see. And maybe it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. If there's a, a discipline that you're trying to instill in your life or a new habit or a new behavior, and it's just, it's taking longer than you think it should. And you're like, I should have been able to do this by now. I should have it figured out by now. I should be more consistent by now. Why am I not yet? Um, or when we continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And I swore and I told myself, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going to think that anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to call her anymore. I'm not going to text him anymore. I'm not going to do it because it's a new year, new me after all. And we're a weekend and you're just like, oops, I did it again. It's a Britney reference for you in the new year. You're welcome. And it's just like, what is up with that? I can't, not what's up with the reference, okay, you'll, you'll catch on. But like, what is up with the fact that I, I, I just keep messing it up and it's so frustrating. Or maybe you just really want to grow, but you don't know how. That might be the most frustrating of all. Like, I don't even know what to do to get from point A to point B. And when we're in that not yet, especially when it comes to our lives personally, we can easily get into some unhealthy <laughs> behaviors or attitudes. And usually there's kind of these two extremes when we're not seeing the progress that we want. And I'm guessing everyone in, in this room and anybody who's watching, you're, you're probably going to fall into one of these categories, you're going to lean more heavily towards one than the other. When we're not seeing the progress we, we want, there's one group of us that just says, well, fine, I'll work harder. I'll do more. I'll stay up. I'll grind. I'll hustle. I will, I will make sure that I can do this. And usually, there's also, that's, that's kind of tied to, to that group, is usually this feeling of whenever I don't get there, whenever I can't, it's usually paired with being really, really hard on yourself. I'm a failure, I'm awful, I blew it, and so I'll work harder, and you get stuck in that loop, right? That's, that's probably one group of us, and I say us on that one, because that tends to be the one that I lean towards, 
Um, I'm way better at it than I used to be, but I'm still massively a work in progress in this area. Uh, I, I don't know why, whenever I think of this, the, the one time that pops in my mind that I tend to think of is when I was in high school. That was a long time ago, and this is the memory that I have, though. Um, no snickering at how long ago it was, but uh, I was an athlete. I played football and basketball, and, and my dad was a custodian at the high school, so he had keys, and so I would go in and be able to get extra shots up, and we would go in. My friends would go in sometimes when I was just me. I'm like, I want to go, go shoot, and I would, I would end my shooting sessions with free throws, and I can remember this one time just being so ticked off. I probably shot 150 or 200 free throws, and I was like eight for 10. I was doing sets of 10, eight for 10, nine for 10, eight for 10, nine for 10. And I was so flipping ticked, which that's a really good free throw shooting percentage, but it wasn't perfect. And I can just remember taking the ball and slamming it repeatedly against the wall in the backboard. And just, like, have you ever done the scream where, like, it actually hurts your throat and you just scream as loud as you can? And I was like, ah. I used to have a little bit of a, you know, anger issue too, apparently. But, like, I, because... I felt like a failure. I wasn't where I wanted to be, and I was, if, if I couldn't do it, I was going to make myself do it. So maybe that resonates with some of you. Or maybe you're on the other end of the, the, the spectrum that would say, no, that's not me whenever, when I'm not making the progress I want to see. You're on the, I'm just, I just quit. Sometimes when we don't see the progress we want to see, I'm like, fine, I just give up. And that happens one of two ways. One way is, is maybe you're a chronic starter. I did something. I'm not seeing the progress I want to do, so I'll, let me move on to the next thing. Tried that for three weeks, that didn't work, let me move on to the next thing. A couple months, ah, that didn't work, let me move on to the next thing. Or maybe it's just kind of, I quit altogether. It's like, you know what, we settled into this mindset, it's always going to be this way. I'm always, it, this is always going to be the problem, I'm never going to make the progress. And, and we'll tell our things, we'll even try to spiritualize it sometimes. Well, maybe this is just my, my, my burden to carry, my, my burden to bear, my cross to carry. I'm ne- it's always going to be like this, so I should just learn to, to live with this. And I don't think that either the really hard myself, I'm going to work harder, or the I just quit, I, neither one of those are a good place to be. But luckily, those aren't the only options. There's actually a much, much better way forward as we think about the future, we think about where we're not, and God has a lot to say about that. So let's begin this journey today. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, it is in an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. Uh, and so if you've got a, an actual physical Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes. If you can find it, it's roughly towards the middle-ish, closer to the front, I think. But um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we're going to be. It's also going to be up on the screen. But Ecclesiastes belongs in this kind of genre of literature that we call wisdom literature. Because it's meant to provide wisdom. Uh, things that you make you go, hmm, okay, let's, uh, let me think about that. Let me mull that over. What does this say for life? Uh, and I actually really, really enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, on first glance, it can seem kind of harsh or confusing, um, very pessimistic. Uh, honestly, it can even seem like it's at odds with other things in Scripture. Because you're like, what, what is going on here? Uh, but that's because of, of the way that it's written. It's intentionally doing that in us. Uh, and so just kind of the set us up for what we're going to read. Traditionally, Ecclesiastes is attributed to Solomon. King Solomon, wisest king to ever live. Uh, the wisdom literature is attributed to him, although sometimes there's other authors involved. It's within the tradition of Solomon. And Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of who's referred to as the teacher, and so there's a teacher in the book who is uh, instilling wisdom and saying things. And this teacher is a critic. Uh, I like to call him a realist, not a pessimist, a realist. That person that says, I just got to tell you how it's actually going to be. 
You know, maybe you have this person in your life. Maybe you are this person in people's lives. When it's like, hey, I want to tell you about all the plans that I have, and this is how it's going to work out. This is how I see my future going, and here's my five-year plan. Here's my 10-year plan. And you know the person just kind of chuckles and says, that sounds nice. Now let me tell you how the real world actually works. That's Ecclesiastes. Uh, it, it's not, you know, he's not trying to be negative. He's saying, hey, let me, let me temper that a little bit because there's the reality of the world that we actually live in. And so with that in mind, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's the wisdom of the teacher. He says, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Uh, some translations translate that word occasion as season. This idea, seasons come, seasons go, it's kind of cyclical, but it never stays the same. There's an occasion or a season for everything, a time for every activity under heaven. And now he's going to just run down a list of these opposites to kind of uh, illustrate his point. He says, there's a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. There's a time to search and a time to count as lost. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Maybe as you're in the new year, you're in the time to throw away part, right? I'm Get rid of this stuff. And hopefully you're not married to the, the time to keep person. So that's going to cause some issues. Time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. And so the teacher is trying to, he, he's painting these polar opposite extremes. Like, hey, there's seasons from one end to the, to the other, from one extreme to the other. Even things like dying and uprooting and tearing down and weeping and mourning and war. And those things don't sound very good. They don't sound very pleasant. In fact, they're not. They're not very fun. But according to the teacher, even the uncomfortable parts of life, there's a time for them. There's a season for them. And what he's not saying, he's not saying that those painful or difficult things are in and of themselves good. It's not that they're good. It's not that, there's, that they're God's ideal. But again, the perspective of Ecclesiastes is, hey, there's a recognition of how the real world actually is. That they are a part of life, as he often says, under heaven, we're under the sun. Like this, this, there's a part of life, the part of the human experience, that there's good and there's bad. And every part, every part, the good and the bad, the good seasons and the bad, can be a part of a greater purpose. They can lead to something. They can take us somewhere. And so as he goes through all this, he's got this idea in our heads like, hey, you, you get that there's a, there's a time for everything. Sometimes things are good. Sometimes things are bad. These moments, they're fleeting. And now he begins to kind of unpack some of the implications. Verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? What does the worker or the laborer gain from working so hard? This is kind of riffing on what he said in chapter 2. He goes on this whole tirade about uh, work. He's like, you know, we work and we labor and we toil. We work our lives away for what? Is essentially what he says. You know, you work like crazy, you work like, like just, you just give and give and give and give, and, and you work so much, you don't even have time to enjoy the things that you have, and then eventually you die and somebody gets all the stuff that you worked for. Again, it's a happy book with the right perspective, okay? Now, what he's not saying is that work is bad, because as we read scripture, we actually see that work is a good thing. I know this is going to be hard for some of us, but work existed before sin entered into the world. That the, they were given the garden to, to work the garden. There's something about being made in the image of God that we're meant to create and produce and bring about uh, beauty and, and flourishing. And so what, he, what he's critiquing is what we would now call hustle culture. 
just grinding, just working like crazy. Just, you know, I got to do this so I can have that, so I can do that, so I can have that. This idea of I work like crazy, and because I work so much, I, I need to make sure I buy myself something nice or go on a nice vacation to replenish myself from working so much. But in order to afford the thing that I want that replenishes me from working so much, I got to work more, and so I got to go on the vacation, which means I got to work more, right? We just get caught up in that, in that loop. So he's like, that ain't no way to live. That's no way to live. So what does the worker gain from his struggles? And he, he counters that or balances that by saying, I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. So children of Adam, this is just simply all of humanity, all humans, all people, that there is a task that God has given them. In other words, there, there is something that we are meant to do. Like we're put on this planet for a reason, to do things, to live a certain way, to, to, to produce and to add something to society. We're, we're meant to bring about flourishing for human beings, to love God, to love our neighbor. There is something for us to do in, in kind of this, this whole picture. And then after saying that, right, we've gone through, hey, there's seasons. Why are we striving and toiling? God does have something for you. And then he kind of settles into this idea that I think gives context and significance and meaning to everything else that he's saying here. In verse 11, he says, he, we're talking about God still, he has made everything appropriate in its time. Now, the Hebrew word that gets translated appropriate here can also be translated, and some translations actually do translate it this way, as beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. There's seasons, seasons come and seasons go, and some are hard and some are nice, and some are, we're weeping, we're mourning, but yet we're, we're joyful and we're laughing and we're working like crazy. God's got something to do, but, but in all of that, in that entire picture, God is making everything beautiful in its time. Not that everything's perfect, not that everything's easy, not that everything's comfortable, but that there is beauty in it, or there can be beauty in it, or that God is using it to bring about a greater thing that is beautiful. He makes everything beautiful in its time. That there is the implication being of, of hey, there, there, this is happening in its time. The implication is that your life does not consist of just one moment, that there's a story unfolding and as he's going to get into in a moment, it's not just that your life doesn't exist in a moment. Your life is, a, it is an unfolding thing, but it exists in an entirely much, much larger unfolding narrative of all of eternity. That there's an eternal picture that's happening here. It's not just a dot. It's not just a moment. It's not just whatever your life looks like right now or what it's been looking like for this current season. But there's a time that's unfolding and things will be made beautiful. And so along that context of seasons and time, he says this, and continuing in verse 11, he's made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time, and he has also put eternity in their hearts. Talking about human beings. Talking about me and you. He says there's, there's eternity in your hearts. That there's something about us as humans, regardless of, of who you are, where you're from, when you live, where you live, how you grew up, what your faith tradition is, there's something in us that tells us there is more to this life than just this life. That there's more than just like the physical world around us. There's something else. Even if I'm not sure about faith, I don't know where I'm at. I, you know, maybe you describe yourself as I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't know what I believe. The vast majority of people who have ever walked this planet know there's something spiritual about my existence. There's something more than just what I can see. There's something that's coming after this. And, and honestly, even for the very, there's a very, very, very small minority of people who would describe themselves as, as purely naturalistic atheists. 
meaning not just saying I say I'm an atheist, but I think the only thing is physical matter. We're just chemical processes. We're just biology firing. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. We're, honestly, we're not even really in control. We're just doing what our neurons tell us to do, what chemical processes tell us to do. There are very, very, very few people that actually believe that. And even those that do, nobody actually lives like that. We all live like there's more than just chemistry happening. We all have morals. We all have values. We all have these aspirations. It's like, well, why if there's nothing more? And that's what uh, the teacher is getting at here. There's something deep within humanity that knows life is more than just this world, and it's more than just the moment you're in. There's eternity written on your heart. And again, there's this balancing perspective, though. He's like, hey, don't get too puffed up because you think, hey, eternity's on my heart. He says, but even though eternity is on your heart, no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. So there, there's this, this inclination in our hearts that there is something more than this. However, we don't see the whole picture. Like I know it's kind of like foggy. It's kind of like what, what, what exactly is this eternal perspective? What is going on here? We have an idea that there's something more, but God sees the whole picture. He sees your life from beginning to end. He sees all of cosmic history from beginning to end. He sees your little and my little, in terms of uh, eternity, the little speck that we are, he sees that within the broader picture of what has been unfolding throughout history, that he sees the whole thing from beginning to end. And so you know there's something more. He is the something more, and he knows everything that's going on. It's put eternity on their hearts, but no one can discover what God has done from beginning to end. He continues and begins kind of wrapping up the implications of this. So he says, listen, I know there's nothing better for them to rejoice and enjoy the good life. In light of who God is, and we're small, and we just, just enjoy the good life that he has for you. The, the, the small things, the small blessings, the daily graces that he provides, such as, hey, eating and drinking, enjoying all of your efforts. Enjoy the simplicity of the blessings of God. Like live in his goodness as he continues to wrap it up, he says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it. There's no taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. And so you have this passage. You have this teacher who's like, hey, here is big picture. The world's kind of broken. Here's what reality actually looks like. And there's incredible wisdom in this. As he's saying, hey, there's an eternal perspective that only God has. And within that eternity, you and I and every single human exist as finite creatures, just plopped along there. We're really small. We're in the big picture. We're kind of insignificant. We're really insignificant. Our lives are but a speck or a vapor, as scripture calls them. But within that small existence, situated in the eternal perspective that God sees, we experience different seasons. Some are good and some are bad, but they are just seasons. And we shouldn't ignore or try to uh, get past the, the, the slow or the painful or the uncomfortable moments. And we shouldn't just stay stuck in them either, just waiting for, okay, is the future here yet? Is the future here yet? Is the future here yet? Rather, we, we're called to realize there's more to life, this life than just this life. There's something beyond this. There's more to life than just this life. There's eternity in our hearts, in every bit of our lives, even the moments, the seasons that are hard, that are difficult, they have a purpose. And those seasons come, and those seasons go. And what we do in every season is we love God, and we live faithfully. We trust that he, as the, the teacher said, will make all things beautiful in its time. Now, 
I just want you to imagine for a moment, as we start a new year, as we move into whatever the year has for us, what if you actually lived every day of your life like that was true? I think it could change everything. If you were to look at life and like, man, the, the stresses that come your way and the things that you're so anxious about and the things that you're worried about and the things that you're uncertain about and there's your future and there's your present and what's next week going to look like, what's next year going to look like, what about college, what about career, what about family, what, where are we going with all of that? And all of that's important. But within that, if you were to take the perspective and say, you know what? My life consists of seasons. Some are good, some are bad, but they're momentary. That God is eternal, that he sees the whole thing and that he has promised to make everything beautiful in its time. And I, I'm trusting that he will make everything beautiful in its time. And I'm not just trusting that because it's some faith thing to do or because the pastor told me to or because the Bible says it. I'm trusting that God will make all things beautiful in his time because I know he is good, I know he is loving, I know he is trustworthy because something happened in history that that God became a man, the person of Jesus, died on a cross for the sins of the world because he loves you so ridiculously much. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin, and like he has kept that promise, and he is a promise keeper, and if he says he will make all things beautiful in their time, then he will. Just, just imagine going through life that way. And it's hard to remember that all the time when we're in the now. <laughs> but I think it could change everything. He'll make all things beautiful in their time. And there is... There is an ultimate sense in which that is true, that God makes all things beautiful. The ultimate sense in which it's true, and I say ultimate sense, I mean like a cosmic, I mean all things beautiful in their time. That ultimate sense we get a picture of uh, at the culmination of the biblical narrative. It's recorded in what we call the book of Revelation. Pastor Paul actually read some of it here this morning. We're going to look at that same passage again. And now I know when I say Revelation, some of you are like, Okay? It's, 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 it's a book that throughout you know, 2,000 years of church history has really freaked some people out. All right? It's like, what is this? Um, but it doesn't need to. Okay, It doesn't need to. Uh, in fact, as a little, little sneak peek, a little, little preview, uh, we are going to be tackling the book of Revelation as a church come this summer. So just have that on your radar. It's going to be fun. Like, buckle up for that. But for now, to kind of set this up for us, um, Revelation is written by the Apostle John. Uh, the same John who was a disciple of Jesus, and it is a vision or a revelation uh, from Jesus to John. These kind of flashes and pictures portraying where cosmic history is going. And this is what John says at the end of Revelation, the very end of the, of the biblical narrative, this whole thing that's been unfolding. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Throughout the, the biblical narrative, the sea always represents chaos. It, to the ancient people, it was, it was the realm of chaos, the realm of the dead. It, it was fear. And so he's like, hey, there's no more chaos. There's no more fear. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the place, like the, the dwelling of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. I'm making everything new. And he also said, right because these words are faithful and true. 
In other words, John, write this down, okay? Like this is faithful and true. You can take it to the bank. It is set in stone. Write this down. Take a little note. That's, another, that's George Strait. So we've, we've gone from Brittany to George Strait. We should have everybody covered this morning, okay? Like make sure you remember this because I have promised something and I will do it. I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. It sounds an awful lot like the wisdom of the teacher that says God makes everything beautiful in its time. When he says I'm making all things beautiful, I'm making all things new, that includes everything in all of creation, which includes you and me, by the way. He's making you beautiful. He's making you new. The God is ready and able to make all things new, and in fact, indeed, he is in the process of doing it in our lives and in this world. And understand that when, when John wrote this, he was offering encouragement to Jesus' followers in the first century and also throughout history now and into the future. John's writing of Revelation was not primarily what sometimes we make it to be, like, hey, let me predict the future, and there's weird things about wars and beasts. And like the, the primary goal of John writing was to encourage the first century followers of Jesus going through incredibly difficult times. It was a heavily persecuted church. They were being thrown in prison. They were being fed to lions. They were being tortured. Uh, they were being killed. All of these things happening. Um, depending on when you date revelations, there's a, a possibility for a, a little bit younger, uh, earlier dating and older. It's not really important. But the, the emperor at either one of the times would have either been Emperor Nero or Domitian. And both of them would just like rain terror down on the Jesus followers. And so John is writing this primarily to say, hey, I know what you're going through is ridiculous right now, and I know you're afraid, and I know your friends are dying, and it seems like all hope is lost, and how can anything good possibly happen? But I want to encourage you that God is present at every moment and working at every moment, and he can make all things new, both then and now and forever. When we're longing for something that isn't here yet, God can make it beautiful, and he can make all things new. When things aren't going the way that we would like them to, when we're longing for something we don't have yet, when we're waiting or delayed, when we're frustrated and ticked because I'm not making the progress I think I should be making, that God, even in that, is still making all things new. The words of the teacher and the words of John help us to see that everything is a work in progress. All of creation is a work in progress. You're a work in progress too, and so am I. It's okay to be a work in progress. It's all right. You're not a finished product. That's okay. We are works in progress. And there is that progress and there is that future and there is a future for you and God has a future for you. And here, I can't guarantee what that future is. I can't stand up here and say, hey, you know that circumstance that you really hope and it plays out this way and this future that you hope you have and you, you hope it looks exactly like this and you have this, this idea in your mind and there's this thing that you're praying for. I can't guarantee that that's going to come true or it's going to look anything like that. But what I can guarantee is regardless of what happens in your future, if you are pursuing Jesus, that it will be beautiful in its time. That he will make it beautiful. He will make it new. He will make it complete. And the way that that happens is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's how things are made new. He is the one who has, has by paying the penalty of sin and rising from the, the dead, removed the corruption of sin and death from us. 
We still live in the midst of that, but he's in the process through his spirit of transforming us, of renewing us, of making us new. And in fact, there's this, there's a promise that is given about this. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. It's near the beginning of his letter. He, he tells them, it's a promise that he makes to them, but it's true for us too. He says in Philippians 1.6, he says, for he, talking about Jesus, who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Here's what that means. That means if you have put your faith in Jesus and you are following him, and you keep on following him, he is going to complete what he started. There is never going to be a moment on the journey where he says, you know what, I've given you enough chances, I'm done with you. You're a lost cause, you just, you're not figuring it out, you're not moving along fast enough, I'm not seeing the progress I want. It's like, no, if you are in Christ, even if it's not going according to our timeline and our plan, he will be faithful because he's the faithful one, not us. He is the one, i got to get this through my own mind. It's not me that works and strives and makes my future right. He is the one who is faithful to complete what he started. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. From the moment you, you start following Jesus, he's doing something in you. He's transforming you through the work of his spirit. The challenge is to let him start that work and to lean into that work and to, to, to come alongside and say, okay, God, if you're doing this, I want, I want, I want, I want to partner with that. I don't want to resist that. And so the first thing that that means is you got to start following Jesus. Right, right? Please hear this morning. What, what I don't want us to hear is some kind of vague spirituality that's just like, hey, you know, God loves you and he's got a plan for your life and it's great and it's wonderful. I don't want some generic God that doesn't have any kind of power or authority in my life. That God doesn't change your life. But the God who's revealed himself in Jesus, who died and who rose, he has the power to transform everything about us. Everything. And so, man, he, here's the first step. Follow Jesus. If you've never made a decision to do that, what are you waiting for? I encourage you to do it today. Or if it's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of Christian. I've kind of been doing this Jesus thing, but it's been a little, you know, maybe been a, been a lax. Jump in today. Recommit today. Whatever that looks like. Start following him. And then, as the pro- like, trust the process. Trust that the work is continuing. Trust that he's doing something. That's for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Live in cooperation with what he's doing. Don't solely focus on the future because you don't like the present season that you're in, but at the same time, don't be so busy busy and consumed with the present that you forget that there is a future that God has, that this story is going somewhere. If we want to be the people that God has made us to be, it requires us to live both in the present with an eye to the future. It's the now and the not not yet. It's faithful in the day-to-day trusting that he holds the future in his hands. And so here's a little exercise we wrap up uh, to do this week. I'm giving you homework. It's a tool. Take five minutes each day to do this. Five minutes. This is all I'm asking. Number one, I want you to write down two things for five minutes. Number one, I want you to write down and notice the progress that you've already made. That keeps us in the now. What has God already done in your life? How has he been faithful? How has he showed up? How has your relationship with Jesus grown? What answer to prayer was there? What lessons have you learned? And then the next thing is ask God to help you make more progress because I'm not a finished progress, a product yet. I'm still a work in progress. And so write down and pray, okay, where, where, where do you need more help trusting him? What is that struggle or that behavior, that habit, that temptation, that sin in your life that you just can't seem to get over? Pray that he would help you in that area. What can't you accomplish without his help? Take five minutes each day this week and say, okay, here's, here's where I've seen progress. Here's where I've still got some work to do. God, thank you for the progress. I praise you for doing that. And Lord, help me continue to grow. Help me to continue to be the person you're calling me and you've made me to be. All of us. All of us are works in progress. But the really good news is that we follow a God who is able to make all things new, who has promised to do it.
None of us are perfect, but through faith in Jesus, through the work of his spirit, day by day, we are becoming more and more of who God has made us to be. We're a work in progress, and so let me encourage you, keep going, keep going. God, thank you so much um, just for the way that you love us. Thank you that we, that even though we're still works in progress, and sometimes there's a lot of progress to be made still, Lord, we thank you that, that you love us regardless, that, that in our brokenness, in our sin, in our corruption, in our state of death, you didn't leave us like that, but you made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be transformed, for us to be healed through your death and resurrection. God, transform us through that power, that resurrection power. Transform us through the work of your spirit. May we remember that we're a work in progress. May we follow you and trust what you're doing in our life in every season. Lord, I pray for those who right now are in a very difficult season. Uh, that uh, whatever they're going through, whatever circumstance of the season looks like, Lord, it's pain and it, it's not ideal. I pray you would give them strength in that. I pray you would carry them through, give them strength and peace that they cannot understand. And God, I pray that through all things, you would be working and they would be leaning into you and trusting you more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name.